Well, good morning, New Day. Happy New Year. So good to see you guys. So glad that you're here. I told my uh, staff this morning via Slack, I said, uh, New Year, same mission. And uh, that's what I want to say to you guys. We will continue, uh, Lord willing, here in 2023 uh, with God's help to make disciples because that's what we're all about here at New Day Church. I'm glad you're here with me for a new year. I'm glad you're here with me for today's sermon. We continue our study through Matthew's gospel, and I'll give you the text. Our text today is Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24, and our theme this week is woe to the unrepentant. Woe to the unrepentant. And I get it. It's a pretty uh, heavy message to be kicking off a new year with, uh, but I think as we go through, you'll see how uh, appropriate it actually is. So again, woe to the unrepentant. Guys, when I was in uh, high school and you weren't doing well in a particular class, I hate to admit it, but every now and then, usually in a math class, okay, uh, I wouldn't do so great. And when you weren't doing great in a class, uh, they would send out what they called warning cards, okay? And they would send that out to the parents. And there is nothing that I dreaded more uh, as a teenager than getting a warning card. Okay, I was a pretty good kid. I didn't really get in trouble very much at all. So I had lots of freedom. Uh, we, we had lots of freedoms, enjoyed lots of things. But let me tell you, there was no flexibility when it came to a warning card. My parents expected us to do well in school. And if a warning card came, it was immediate grounding until uh, things went and turned in the other direction. Okay, so you were grounded where ostensibly without, you know, this was before laptops and smartphones and TVs in people's rooms. Okay, we didn't have any of that. It was just a room with walls and carpet and a bed, okay? That was it. You could bring your books in, okay? And so, um, you know, ostensibly without all the distractions, we could buckle down and start bringing our grades up, which of course uh, we always did, okay? But I hated getting those warning cards. But when I was studying for this message, I was kind of reflecting back on how I got those warning cards, and I was thinking how as much as I, I still hate them, when I think about it, I get a bad feeling, it's like awful, you know, but when I think about it, I cannot help but admit that as much as I hated them, they did serve a very useful purpose. You didn't want to get to the end of the semester with a failing grade, and so as much as you hated receiving the warning it served a valuable purpose because it gave you the opportunity to get back on track when and where needed. Well, friends, that's exactly what today's sermon is. It's a heavenly warning card. And though none of us likes to receive such a, a warning, such a notification, uh, no one likes to get that, that pit in their stomach that comes when you realize, oh my goodness, I'm off track, uh, I'm heading down a, a path, uh, I'm going in a certain trajectory, and I'm not going to be happy where I end up in the end. No one likes that, but like my warning card, it does serve a valuable purpose. So today uh, in our text, it's, it's in, in a word, it's a warning a warning. And the warning is this, woe to the unrepentant. Let me show it to you so you can see it for yourself. Let me read to you Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. Then he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because, let's say it out loud, they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. 
and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? And the idea is, no, no, you won't. You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Friends, here Jesus issues the gravest of warnings. And what I want us to understand today is this. Though this warning was originally issued uh, to Jewish people who lived 2,000 years ago, it is no less of a warning to you and to I. Don't hear woe to the unrepentant. Oh, Jesus is telling some Jewish people who lived a long time ago, woe is you. He's giving them a warning. Uh, Oh, this really has nothing to do with me. Don't take it that way because you won't pay attention during the sermon if you think it's for them. But friends, realize this is God's warning to us today. So as you listen, listen in that way. And now that you know that that's how the sermon is to be taken, uh, let me go ahead and do my best to kind of break it down and explain it, uh, and we'll take it in sections. If you're taking notes today, the very first thing we see in our text is what we're going to call the denunciation. The denunciation. We read in verse 20, uh, then Jesus began to denounce the cities. Now, friends, when you uh, denounce the cities, this is to denounce the inhabitants of the cities, and to denounce someone means to express your disapproval or your disappointment in them. And in our passage today, Jesus expresses his disapproval and his disappointment in the citizens of three cities in particular. The cities of Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. So note where they are. They're on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was Jesus's home base, and Chorazin and Bethsaida were just two uh, nearby cities located only a couple miles from Capernaum. You see, after Jesus's baptism by John in the Jordan River, Jesus ministered, take a look, in the region of Judea, which was the southern part of the country. So after his baptism, Jesus ministered throughout Judea for about one year's time. But when Jesus faced a premature death, a death that would come before God's appointed time, God the Father sovereignly relocated Jesus from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. And once in Galilee, uh, God the Father directed Jesus to set up his home base in Capernaum, that uh, prophecy might be fulfilled. So friends, Jesus ministered then primarily in Capernaum and in the neighboring cities, which included Chorazin and Bethsaida, one being a couple miles to the north, one being a couple miles to the east. So in all his ministry, Jesus ministered the most in these three cities, in Chorazin and Bethsaida and in Capernaum. These were the primary Uh, places that Jesus uh, ministered in. But Jesus is not happy with the inhabitants of these cities, and so now he's publicly rebuking them. He is denouncing them publicly. And of course, the question begs, well, why? (laughs) Jesus, why are you denouncing these cities? What did they do that you're so upset with them that you would now publicly rebuke them? Well, the answer to why Jesus did that is in the next part of our text. The second thing we see in our text, we're going to call it the demonstration. So first, the denunciation, and now secondly, the demonstration. 
Jesus denounced these three cities because these were the cities where most of his mighty works, which means miracles, had been done. Yet the people did not respond appropriately to what they had seen. As Isaiah, the prophet, foretold when Messiah came, he would be easily recognized because he would be the one and the only one uh, making the lame walk, making the blind see, making the deaf hear, making the mute sing for joy. And friends, when Jesus came, these were all the miracles that he did. He did these things in abundance all throughout the nation of Israel, but nowhere did he do these miracles more than in the three cities we're studying today, in uh, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Additionally, all throughout Jesus's ministry in southern Judea and in northern Galilee, Jesus demonstrated his divine power. He showed that he had power over nature and over uh, disease and over sickness and over the demonic realm and even over death itself. Yet nowhere in all of the nation of Israel did Jesus demonstrate his divine power more than in these three cities that we've seen today. So Jesus ministered most there. Jesus did most of his miracles there. Jesus demonstrated his divine power uh, there more than anywhere else. Yet the people did not respond properly to what they saw. And because they did not respond properly, Jesus is denouncing them. Despite such astounding demonstrations of his divinity, despite such astounding demonstrations uh, that proved he was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the great king that God promised to one day send into the world who would rule over an eternal kingdom. Despite the many proofs that Jesus gave that this was so, the people did not respond appropriately. This leads to the third thing we see in our text, which we're going to call the violation. So far, all I've said is that the people didn't respond appropriately, uh, but the question begs, well, uh, what specifically was their crime? What was their violation? What is it specifically that Jesus is so upset about? I mean, he is calling out these people in particular. What is it he's so upset about? Well, Jesus denounced them because even though these were the cities where he had performed most of his miracles, take a look at verse 20, they did not repent. Now, friends, repentance is a concept that you and I were introduced to back in Matthew chapter 3, which we covered uh, many months ago. In chapter 3, we learn that John the Baptist, when he came ministering by the Jordan River, he came sharing a message of repentance. As practically the whole nation came to John, here was John's message to the nation. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John called on the people to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, I don't want you to be confused. John 100% called the people to have faith in Jesus to forgive them of their sins. But the kind of faith that John was calling them to was a faith that would change the way that they lived, practically speaking, on a day-to-day -day basis. Because, friends, that's what repentance is. 
I went through no small amount of trouble to work on a user-friendly definition for you of what repentance is. So there's so much you can read about repentance, and you can just get lost in all the details. But let me take a huge body of information and make it as simple as I can. Uh, Here is what repentance is biblically. To repent is to turn from a life predominantly characterized by sin to a life predominantly characterized by righteousness. And righteousness just means right living as defined by God's Word. So friends, if it's repentance, you turn from sin, you turn to righteousness. This is what John the Baptist expected from those that came to hear him preach at the Jordan River. And this is what Jesus expected from the citizens of Chorazin, uh, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. But repent, they did not. There was no life change. Oh, they came out to hear Jesus. If they heard he was in town, they went out to hear him preach. Uh, They went out to see his demonstration of, of power. They loved watching him perform miracles. It was kind of like going to the circus, like, hey, it's a dinner and a show. He's multiplying the fish and the loaves. He's doing the miracles. Like, this is great. But friends, then, just like many people do today, people come out to church, they do all kinds of religious things. They're interested to learn about Jesus. They're interested to hear about Jesus. They're interested to be around the people of God. Uh, But then they, they leave church and they just go home and nothing changes in their life. It is still characterized predominantly by sin, not righteousness. Well, that's what was going on in Jesus's day. And so Jesus said, there's been no changed life. And this is the violation. No repentance has happened. Now that you've seen the violation, let's fourthly note the vilification. So the violation and now the vilification. In reference to Chorazin and Bethsaida, Jesus says, If the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Likewise, in reference to Capernaum, Jesus says, If the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Now, friends, what I want you to understand here is that Jesus is really vilifying these three Jewish cities by comparing them to three Gentile cities. Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum were Jewish cities located within the land of Israel. Well, take a look at the map. What you're going to see is that Tyre and Sidon and Sodom were three Gentile cities located outside the land of Israel. Tyre and Sidon are northwest of Israel, and Sodom, as you can see, is southeast of Israel. So here, Jesus just really vilifies the inhabitants of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum by telling them that they are more wicked than the Gentile cities of Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom. And guys, what I need you to understand is that this would have been beyond shocking for these Jewish people to hear. To hear that they were more wicked than Gentiles, that alone was like just mind-boggling. But to then pick among the Gentile cities three that were most notorious for their wickedness, that just blew their minds. I mean, friends, Tyre was so wicked and so evil 
and was led by such an evil king that the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 28 used the king of Tyre as a word picture for Satan. Sidon, that's where the wicked queen Jezebel descended from. And it was the Sidonians who had introduced the worship of Baal into the nation of Israel. And Sodom, don't even get me started on Sodom. They were so wicked, God said, the only thing you're fit for is to be burned from fire from heaven. So do you see how Jesus is really just villainizing these three Jewish cities by comparing them to some of the worst Gentile cities in existence and saying, you are more evil than they. So we see the vilification of these Jewish cities. And friends, make no mistake about it, Jesus vilified them because they had had the great privilege of direct ministry from Jesus, yet they still refused to repent. Jesus said, if these Gentile cities had received direct ministry from me, they would have repented. Sodom would still be here uh, to this day, and they would be an upright people living by the, the words and the ways of God. But you guys received direct ministry from me. And friends, that's, that's really how it works. You know, you receive direct ministry from Jesus, you choose to reject, uh, you get vilified. So that's what Jesus is doing here. And now that you've seen the vilification, note with me the fifth and final thing we see in our text, which we're going to call the condemnation. So the vilification uh, segues into the condemnation. Because these Jewish cities had seen Jesus's power, had seen Jesus's miracles, had seen the proofs that he was God's promised Messiah, yet refused to repent, Jesus pronounces over them the worst kind of condemnation there is. Take a look, verses 21 to 22. Here's the condemnation for uh, Chorazin and Bethsaida. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And now here is Capernaum's condemnation. Jesus says, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? The idea is when you die, do you think you're going to ascend to heaven? No. When you die, you will be brought down to Hades. I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Now, friends, this is going to be helpful to you. Anytime you see in Scripture the phrase, woe to you, what you need to understand is that it is a pronouncement of impending doom. Jesus is saying, you think when you die, you're going to ascend to heaven, but you are on a trajectory where when you die, you will descend into Hades. Now, Hades is not a place or a topic uh, that is often covered in Scripture. I mean, it's there plenty, uh, but most of us are very unfamiliar with it, and we only cover it every so often so that every time we do bring it up again, we've all already forgotten what it's all about. So let me do a quick reminder because a lot of what Jesus says today, his whole point is predicated uh, upon us having a biblical understanding of what happens to an unbeliever when they die. So let's just do a quick review of that. And some of you go, this is familiar, that's great, but I know for others you need a refresher course uh, or for our first-time guests today, maybe this is new for you, but here's the deal. When someone dies apart from Christ without having trusted Jesus to forgive their sins, here's what happens. Number one, they are sent to the place of the dead to await the great white throne judgment. In Old Testament Hebrew, the place of the dead is called Sheol, 
In New Testament Greek, the place of the dead is called Hades, uh, but both names, Sheol and Hades, refer uh, to the same thing, to the place that departed spirits go to await the great white throne judgment when they die. And upon death, every believer from the time of Adam and Eve right up to the present day, they've been sent by God to Hades to await the coming judgment, the great white throne judgment. All right, one day we're going to have the great white throne judgment. God will host uh, that heavenly event. So number two, at the great white throne judgment, the unbeliever will be sentenced. So that's why there's uh, the great white throne judgment. It's a time for eternal sentencing for the wicked. And we read about this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 to 13, where the apostle John recounts his vision as follows. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. So friends, for this judgment, God's going to call each departed spirit from Hades and have them stand before him for sentencing, having rejected God's offer to let Jesus take their punishment for sin for them on the cross, each person will be sentenced to take the punishment for sin upon themselves. And this leads to the third thing we know about a person who dies apart from Christ. Number three, at this time, after sentencing, the unbeliever will spend all eternity serving his sentence. We read in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 to 15, then, meaning after sentencing, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, friends, don't do what a lot of people do. A lot of people get Hades and, and hell confused. Here's the deal. Hades is the place that unbelievers go to await the great white throne judgment. At the great white throne judgment, those in Hades, having rejected Christ's offer of forgiveness of sins, will be thrown into the lake of fire, which we call hell. Back to our text. Jesus says to the inhabitants of the Jewish cities who saw his miracles, saw the proof of his divinity, saw the proof of his messiahship, but rejected him and refused to repent. Jesus says to them, do you think when you die, you will ascend to heaven? No, you got it wrong. Woe to you. When you die, you will descend into Hades, where you will await the great white throne judgment, where you will be sentenced to an eternity apart from me. So this is why Jesus says, woe to you. Because in Scripture, woe to you is a pronouncement of impending doom, which is exactly what the citizens of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum were destined for because of their refusal to repent. Now, I know this is a lot of talk about hell, but friends, when it's in the text, it's what we're going to cover. So continuing right along, not only does Jesus say that they are destined for hell, listen to this, he additionally tells them that hell will be worse for them than for the wicked Gentile citizens of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. 
And this is interesting because this is the first time uh, in Matthew's gospel that we are introduced to the concept of different levels of torment in hell. It's not the last time we're going to see this concept taught in Matthew's gospel, uh, but to my knowledge, it is the first. How could it not have different levels of torment if Jesus says to the Jewish citizens, these Gentiles are going to have it better than you? That implies that there's going to be different levels of torment in hell. I love how one commentator put it. I thought when I read this, I was like, he's got it just right. This is a great summary of what Scripture teaches. This commentator wrote, uh, Just as there are degrees of felicity in paradise, so there are degrees of torment in hell. That is a statement that can 100% be backed up scripturally on both sides. Now, the wicked Gentile citizens of Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom understand they will also spend eternity in torment right at this moment, right along with the citizens of Chorazin and Bethsaida uh, and Capernaum, they are in Hades awaiting the great white throne judgment. And one day they will spend eternity in torment. But Jesus says that this will be doubly the case for the citizens of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. Jesus says, hell will be worse for the inhabitants of these Jewish cities than it will be for the inhabitants of the Gentile cities because these Jewish cities had more direct revelation from God about Jesus. And friends, what I want you to understand today is that's how it works. The more revelation you receive, the greater your condemnation if you don't repent in response to it. So here we are, January 1st, 2023. It's the kickoff of a new year, and God has seen fit to issue to us a warning. Woe to the unrepentant. Now, I got to tell you, if I was just choosing the topic today, uh, I would probably pick something different, a little, something a little more jolly, kind of kick off the year with. But uh, I was kind of praying about it, reflecting on it, meditating on this. And, and what I realized is this, uh, how appropriate to kick off the new year, actually. How appropriate. Because here's the deal. You and I, there's an absolute parallel between us and the citizens of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum. They were condemned because they had such great revelation uh, of Jesus about who he was and who he is yet they refuse to repent. Well, friends, that could be said of any single one of us. If you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, every single week you come and you receive revelation about Jesus, about who he was, about who he is. I mean, they learned of Jesus's miracles. They learned of Jesus's divinity. They learned of Jesus's uh, messiahship. Well, we've learned all those same things. I mean, all throughout 2022, this was exactly what we learned. We saw the proof of his divine power. We saw the proof of his miracles. We saw the proof of his fulfilled prophecy. And, and we, just, we just learned so much revelation about who Jesus was, about who Jesus is, about what Jesus will one day do, rule over an eternal kingdom that God's appointed him to rule over forever. So friends, 2,000 years of time has gone by, but like Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, there really is nothing new under the sun. They had revelation of Jesus back then. We have revelation of Jesus today. Many back then had the revelation, but they did not repent. Many people today have the revelation, and they do the same. They don't repent. They don't respond to it appropriately. So do you see why I said Jesus is warning to them, woe to the unrepentant. It is Jesus' warning to you and to me. 
Woe to the unrepentant is what God wants to say to us on this first day of the new year. Because here's the deal. It's actually not this horrible, awful, condemning message. It's actually a, an act of love to warn someone. Uh, my neighbors just uh, the other week, their house burned down. Okay, this is like in my neighborhood, I should say, a couple streets down. And their whole house burned down. Now, had the people directly, it's actually where Summer and Travis, you guys used to live. One of the houses right on that street. Yeah, just burned down. Yeah, yeah. Now, the, the people next door, had they saw the house burning down and had they not called out, whoa, to you, that would have been the most unloving thing they could do. But if they called out, you know what? Here's a better illustration. The other Thursday on the way home from work, Andrew saw a, a, a house. It, there was a dumpster by a house and it was on fire in West Springfield. And, and he saw that like no one was doing anything about it and that the house was starting to catch on fire. So he went up and he was like, hey! <laughs> and he warned them all and then sent us the video of like 18 fire trucks and police officers and all this. Friends, a warning is an act of love. How many of you think it's great to start a new year with an act of love from God extended towards us? I do. And he's warning us today because he loves us. He's warning us to, to spare us from the impending doom that will come upon all who refuse to repent. God doesn't want to send us to Hades when we die. God doesn't want us to stand before him at the great white throne judgment because the great white throne judgment is the judgment for the wicked, not the judgment for the righteous. God doesn't want us to receive the terrible eternal sentencing that will come to all who refuse to repent. So, so he's sounding the warning call. You know, uh, a few years back, I was visiting some friends, Mark and Ramona in Oklahoma. Um, I was actually there to go ahead and visit some of the churches out there. And our hosts became my friends, Mark and Ramona. Uh, but out there in Oklahoma, they have tons of tornadoes. It's like Tornado Valley out there. And so our, our friends had a tornado shelter. And they explained to us when the tornadoes come in and there's threat to life and limb, uh, uh, the tornado sirens go off. And I did a little research and they go off at 130 decibels, 100 feet high, which means if you are outside, it's impossible not to hear them. It's almost deafening. And when our friends hear that sound and they know their life's at risk, they just head right in to that place of safety. I want you to understand today's message for what it is. It is God's heavenly tornado siren warning you and warning me to get to the place of safety. And friends, the place of safety is Jesus. We are safe from the coming judgment when by faith we trust Jesus to save us from our sins. But you got to know this, the only kind of faith that God recognizes as the genuine kind is the kind that results in repentance. In other words, we must believe in such a way that changes how we live. So many people claim to be disciples of Jesus and like the citizens of Capernaum mistakenly think that when they die, they will ascend to heaven when in reality they will descend into Hades because though they claim to have faith, they haven't produced what John the Baptist called the fruit that's in keeping with repentance. Friends, the fruit of repentance is the proof that we have genuine saving faith. I was at Costco just last week. I bought a million groceries leading up to the holidays. And before I could leave, I had to show them my receipt. And they won't let you out the door unless you show the receipt because they want proof that those groceries are yours. Well, friends, the proof that salvation is yours 
is the fruit of repentance. It's the changed life. When God sees a changed life, not a perfect life, but a changed life, he goes, well, there's the proof. They have genuine saving faith. They will spend all eternity as citizens in the kingdom of my son. But when he looks at, at our lives and it's, our lives are predominantly characterized by sin instead of predominantly characterized by righteousness, God's going, there, there's no proof of genuine uh, faith. Oh, they have faith, but it's the same as the faith of demons. Demons believe in God, but they don't live a life of righteousness. So in the Bible, we have dead faith and we have saving faith. Dead faith believes, but not in a way that changes how we live. Saving faith believes, but in a way that changes how we live. Friends, God is looking for the change. The Apostle Paul spoke of this change in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He doesn't only speak to it, he speaks to the extent of the change. And he says this, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the idea here is that if we've truly repented, our life will be so different that someone might look to us and go, you're like a totally different person since you started getting into that Jesus stuff. You're so different. You don't, you don't use the same language. You don't use the uh, same choices for, for how you entertain yourself. There's certain things now you don't do. Uh, there's certain things that you um, do that you didn't do before that are good. And now these are important things for you to do. Uh, you're, you're, you're helping people. You're, you're kind. You're patient. You're, uh, you, know, you, you have joy. Uh, in other words, they're listing the fruits of the Spirit that are supposed to be a part of our life. Paul says, if after a certain amount of time of you following Jesus, you can't look back and go, I'm a different person. If you don't see the new creation in yourself, well, then if you're not even seeing it in yourself, I wonder if are, are others seeing it in you? Is God seeing it in you? But friends, when we produce the fruit of keeping uh, with repentance, we, we have a totally changed life. Not a perfect life, but a changed life. You see, when we make Jesus Lord, he begins calling the shots. And as we align one area of our life after another with God's will as revealed in his word, our life begins to change until one day we can only be described as a new creation in Christ. That's what God's looking for from us. So by way of application, I'll ask you today, can your life be described as a new creation? I'm not asking if you're perfect, but what I'm asking is, is sin now the exception to the rule or is it still the norm? Is righteousness now the norm? Or, or is sin? Where are you at today? God's looking for the change. And Jesus is sounding the warning. He gave us a warning back in Matthew chapter 7, by the way. Because Jesus loves us so much, he's not going to give one warning and then that's it. No, he, he warned us today here in chapter 11. And guess what? He, he had warned us earlier in chapter 7. I'll remind you of that. Take a look with me at verses 21 to 23. Jesus said back in chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day. Friends, what day is this referring to? Judgment, the great white throne judgment. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Friends, these people did all kinds of religious things, prophesying, doing miracles, casting out demons. These are representative of religious things that religious people do. And many people here, we, we, look at us, we're here. We're here at church. 
We're, do, we're doing a churchy thing, a religious thing. But many people come to church every week, hear what God's expect. They never align their life with his word. And then they leave here and they just continue living however they want. And if that's you, Jesus is saying to you today, woe to the unrepentant. Jesus is saying, I love you. And that's why I'm warning you. And really, he's begging. He's begging us through this text. Heed my warning. Don't just listen to it and then just go back to things as normal. Heed the warning. That's what he's calling for. Calling him Lord is not enough. You have to actually repent. You have to actually forsake a life of sin, though we don't do it perfectly. And we have to replace a life of sin with a life of obedience, though that also will not be perfect. But this is the only way to prove to God the genuineness of our faith. So friends, you've heard the warning today. All that's left to do is heed it. And if you'd like to do that, it'd be my great privilege at the start of this new year to lead you in prayer. Would you bow your heads? We're going to pray in just a second. But as your head is bowed and you're just kind of getting ready to uh, go before God in prayer, let me say this. It's the time of year where we're thinking about New Year's resolutions. You probably have a physical one. You probably have a financial one. You probably have a professional one. Let me encourage you to make a spiritual one if you haven't already. Let 2023 be the year where you commit to seeing more of the fruit of repentance in your life. Because it's only the fruit of repentance that proves to God that we truly believe on him in a way that saves. If you'd like to do that today, pray with me. Say this in your heart to God. Not out loud, it's just between you and God. Those of you at home, everyone here in the auditorium, everyone out there in the foyer, just say this in your heart to God or at least something along these lines. Say, Heavenly Father, I have heard your warning today. Woe to the unrepentant. Thank you for caring enough to warn me. I don't want to be on a path that leads to an eternity apart from you, so thank you for sounding the heavenly siren warning me of impending doom. And thank you for showing me the way to safety, who is Jesus. Today I choose to respond to your warning. I not only place my faith in Jesus to spare me from your judgment against sin, I also agree to begin living by your word, which will result in such a changed life that in time people will only be able to describe me as a new creation. God, help me, I pray, because I want my life to overwhelmingly be characterized by right living. God, I've received your heavenly warning card today. I know that right now I'm not on track for that, so I ask for forgiveness of sins. In the words of John the Baptist, from this day forward, I want to produce fruit in keeping with repentance that I might prove to you the genuineness of my faith. And God, I just thank you now for the eternal life that is promised to all who believe on Jesus in this way, including me. I don't deserve it, but today on this first day of this new year, I receive the gift that you offer me the gift of eternal life. And God, I receive it with great gratitude. Thank you for forgiving my sins and for granting me citizenship in the eternal kingdom of Christ. I pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, we would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you, and we hope to see you again soon.